0: Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve.
1: In 12 step recoveries and our own brands of therapy for years, Um, and the family illness is still so strong that we get together, and a lot of times it takes over. And this is 20 some years later, so Um, I was in a my brother, I went to family week for my poor, pitiful brother who was in treatment for codependency, and uh, at this point, I was the hero, and I showed up. And uh, they went through this tape, and this guy named John Bradshaw. He was out in the '80s, and he was considered a pop psychologist. And uh, a couple of guys have asked me through the thing what what book I've used, and I, I don't want to mention the author or the title here. But if you're interested afterwards, please come see me, because it's not necessarily S.A. or S. non-approved. But this guy got up and he talked about healing the shame that binds you and healing the abuse. And that his belief was the only way to really heal from that was to go back and re-experience the frozen feelings that were wrapped up in that. And um, there are a lot of different ways to recover from sexual abuse and to heal from it. And my path happened to be to go back and to re-experience those feelings, what happened, the sensations. And um, the accumulation of that for me occurred with uh, what I thought was anger uh, at the abuse and anger work. And I re- um, this last time, two years ago, this past October, I went to a treatment program out at the Meadows, which is kind of a uh, really a world-renowned sex addiction treatment program. And I went out there because I was having trouble with rage. And uh, I was talking to Judson, I was in the Tulsa, Oklahoma, airport, and my wife was going to leave me. I had no idea I was at Jetson. and said, God, you're a lucky guy. <laughs> I remember walking and I literally stopped in my tracks and I said, not to him, but said to myself, what in the you-know-what are you talking about? And he said, you're one of the few guys that stuck around here long enough to get to the real reason you're here. And I don't know if you remember saying that or not, but Judson said that to me. And all of a sudden, I felt this kind of load come off and I thought, you know, he's right. I've done enough work to get me to this point to finally release myself from uh, the shame that bound me. So uh, one more time, I went back into a really intensive uh, treatment program. It was the last time I, I dealt with this stuff, and I came out of there a free guy. And um, it was in that session that this, uh, this guy told me, he said, you know, Marty, said, uh, you've never been angry a day in your life. He said, you've been afraid, and you've been terrified, but you've never been angry a day in your life. And he said, you either go one up on people and dominate and control and manipulate, or you go one down and you're a victim. And he said, "I want you to. Look, I want to go through this sexual abuse incident one more time." And he said, "I want you to stay right here, current with me as a 43 year old guy." And uh, I said, "Well, we did that. And so we started down this process. This is the third time I've been through this healing cycle with this thing. And I thought it was something completely different. And this this guy guided me through this process of staying current as a 43 year old man." And I've never felt more vulnerable giving that shame back for the for a final time. And I just want to share this one experience, not to trigger anybody, but to tell you, for, I, was, you know, I was six years old when this occurred. This is my third in-depth experience with healing from this thing. I was 40 or 41 at the time. And my particular sexual abuse incident, um, in the middle of this process, my face started to get tingly. And my body carried that incident and that shame in my body for 41, 35 years, it carried it with me and I was able to release that, physically release it and emotionally, spiritually for the last time when I walked out of there uh, healed from that. And I knew unequivocally when I left that program that I needed to go back and reclaim that sexuality of mine, and go back and reclaim that part of me that in the basement of that house when I was traumatized in front of my siblings that I was going to go back there because I'm going to fight her my whole life, and, uh, and I've been a survivor, and I went back, and that was, my, that was my path. And the process of that has been, and I'm just going to share this, and then I'll let Judson have it, this is what the process of that has been for me. is, um, I went to uh, a lady here in town. And she's a renowned uh, certified sex addiction therapist and started a sex addiction treatment program here in Nashville and uh, was one of Patrick Carnes' uh, sisters, if you will, and she told me, she said, you might want to take some time off after you get back from the meadow. She said, because the kind of work you do will, will, will continue to, to reverberate and you'll continue to heal six months afterwards. And I said, well, that might be for those newcomers, but I've been doing this work for it's my life's work. And she said, okay, I'll leave that up to you. And, and sure enough, little by little, this stuff started popping up all around me. And it wasn't drama, it wasn't emotional pain, it was health, and it was healing. So I went to her with this, and I also went to, went to a psychiatrist in town. I don't, I'd never seen a psychiatrist before who specialized in sex addiction. And I, I asked them both. These were medical professionals. And I said, you both know my story. I said, is it possible for a guy like me to fully heal sexually from this incident? And they said, yes, with monitoring. And that's what I set out to do. And so the process occurred, and they also both told me the first place you need to start is with your body. Is to, is to learn about the body physiologically. You're going to have to grow yourself up from 6 years old to 41. You're going to have to learn how the body works. You're going to have to learn how it functions, How, how what changes occur from 6 to 9, from 9 to 12, 12 to 15, 15 to 18, 18 to 21, and then 21 into your 4, and on, on and on. And I thought, well, what, how could that What could that possibly have to do with sex addiction and, and trauma? And the truth is, is what is it did is it took that antenna of mine that was bent and straightened it up. And it allowed me to de-shame physical, natural body sensations I had that were sexual in nature. And it allowed me to not sexualize things that occurred with my body. It allowed me to get correct information about what healthy sexuality was and how that occurred in my life. And uh, I talk about reclaim and restore my sexuality, and I was corrected Uh, By this counselor, she said, Marty, it's not so much about reclaiming your sexuality as it is about going back and reclaiming your innocence. Because that's the part that was stolen and robbed. And that's the part you've missed out on your whole life. And I began, this was the second go around of this, I began to take myself out on dates. I went to a uh, uh, a game room where kids play video games. um, And I walked in there and I was the only non-pimply faced man with hair on my armpits and on my face. And I'm in this room with these 13-year-old kids playing these video games, and I'm thinking, this is
2: insane.
1: What am I doing here? And so I started taking myself on dates just by myself. I had no idea what I liked or what I loved. And I, I really started this process back in about 1996. So that stuff started to come to full fruition. And then I started to get back in touch with my own body body senses. I started to go into healthy massage and... uh doing things with my body physically with with healing touch to restore the sensations in my body and reclaim those pieces. And that was a big, big part of it for me. Um, And the most important piece for me was I began to have a relationship with this part of myself that I lost, whether you call it the inner child, the innocence, or whatever. I began to have this relationship with him. And what I did, and it was the first time when Judson would talk about some of this work he did, I always internalized it. I talked earlier about having the the uh, angry adolescent and the little kid or in both. That's, how my, that, that's what, what, what lives inside of me. And for the first time in my life, I brought both those pieces out. And the first one was the little kid. I got this little picture, and I visualized him five feet outside of my body to my weak hand. And I started to write with him. And the first time I wrote to him, he was one angry SOB. His response was, where have you been? I was, I don't know, 41. And I journaled back and forth and done a lot of that work. And I started journaling with him. And I started talking to him and asking what he needed and what he wanted. And I began to parent that little kid. And I've grown him up. And along in that process comes my relationship with God. See, I always thought that the only way to learn how to parent was through God. But I have come to know that I was born with the innate ability to parent and the ability to care for myself first, and then to care for others second. And so I started this process. And then this book I was doing, this lady brought in The Angry Adolescent. And, and she said, this is the cutting baffling one. He'll dress up like a little kid. <laughs> He'll, he's the one that I, I had already uh, disciplined and caged an essay. And I had to start disciplining him. And when I journal with him, he journals with my right hand in big capital letters because he's about right now and in intensity that it's got to happen now. And he's the one when Judson used to say, you know, your, your little kid is not allowed in the bedroom. It's illegal to have a relationship. I used to think, my God, how could you say that about my little kid? But he's I'm making this up that he was talking about the outer child. And I found a bumper sticker that said, my inner child needs a good spanking. And I crossed out inner and I put outer child and slapped the bumper sticker on the back of my car and I would get honks from people and they'd be thumbs up, you know, and my outer child needs a damn good spanking about every day, you know. The little kid is the one that I need to nurture and bring back to health. And it's through that process that I've, I've really started to kind of reclaim my own sexuality. And uh, with that, uh, my wife and I have been, into, been able to restore our sexual relationship. And it was really important for me to separate intensity and woundedness with my wife from intimacy. Um, if I had an emotional hurt or a pain, I thought intimacy was that I, I, if I shared it with her, then we were intimately connected. And my wife woke up about two and a half years ago and said, I, can't, I, I can no longer live with your intensity. She said, I, I have to be free. I can't live as the recovering couple anymore. I'm well. I'm going to go out there and, fo- and mother my children. I'm going to go do what I do. And you either get well from this or I'm moving on. And I completely had no idea what she was talking about. I looked like that dog that's confused, you know, and I turned and my little ear flopped up. And and what my wife did, and what uh, the people in my life told me was that was the greatest gift I was ever given. I'm no longer uh, in a recovering relationship, I'm in an adult relationship. And I bring that little kid to Judson or to my sponsors, or my friend out in California he has been sober as long as I have, and I parent him through them. And I bring the 43-year-old guy to the table with my wife. Sometimes I will say, you know, I had a really uh, an amazing spiritual experience f- for me, and I'd like to share that with you if you're open to it. Sometimes she does, sometimes she doesn't. And what that's given me now is my wife will come home sometimes from school, and she will go down in a shame spiral about school, and she, and, I, and I go, I'm full, I'm flooded, and all I want to do is cook dinner, spend time with my kids, so I'm going to need to table that for later. I can do that as an adult. I'm not angry, I'm not hostile, I'm full. My life in my home does not always have to be about recovery, about intensity, and about fixing and working on us. And so... Uh, it's really important for me, and I shared this this morning. And I'm full, man. I, I left on the table this morning. I got as vulnerable as I could in there about the healthy sexuality in marriage. And I've been done since then. So y'all are getting the the, the dragged out, tired guy. But So I apologize. But um, the one thing that I know about me today, after putting some final touches on my healing up, healing from sexual abuse, is this. The worst I will ever get is human. And the best I will ever get is human. I introduced myself today as Marty, the 43-year-old guy, who's a human being. I'm an alcoholic and sex addict, second. Um, I had to step outside of the umbrella of these programs. I didn't leave this program. I want to be really clear about that. I had an old, old, old-timer, an Alcoholics Anonymous, tell me in the middle of this process, he said, um, you are going to have to step outside the program and find out who you are in relationship with God in the absence of the safety of these rooms, in order for you to move on to the next stage of your spiritual development. And I was terrified because I either knew abuse and trauma, or I knew the discipline of these programs. And that's what I, I said. Well, I'm terrified. How do I do that? This is all I've ever known. And he said, "I don't know, kid." He said, "Just go feel the terror." He said, "I got to go," and he got in his car in <laughs> and drove off. And here I am standing. It was literally pouring out rain, and I'm standing there going. It was like a Woody Allen movie. I thought, what do you mean lean into the terror? And he told me this. He said, said, if you take a bird out of a cage and you smash that cage, he said that bird will go bat crap crazy for about two days, two to three days. He said he will fly around that room. He said if he's lucky, he will not kill himself. And he said when he calms down, and gets comfortable in the freedom of his own skin, he said, you will never get him back in that cage. And he said, I can guarantee you three things that you're going to experience along this path. He said, you will be judged. He said, you will feel pain. And he said, "And you will be free. And I had to make a choice. I could either live to my woundedness, live to the illness, or I could step up and say, you know what? I'm a pretty damn good guy. I'm capable of love. I'm capable of giving it. Most days I'm capable of receiving it. I'm sensitive. I'm creative, and God gifted me on this earth exactly the way I came out of that womb, and that's the guy I want to live to today, and that's my goal every day when I get up. As I wake up, and I say, God, where is your where is your road take me? If it takes me into an essay meeting, and I go to still go to three to five meetings a, a day, excuse me, a week. Um, if it takes me down to somebody in my church who's struggling with something, I don't have to. I I, I can show up, and I don't have to bleed all over. Them. I can be there for them. If I need to be a parent for my kids this day, more so than not, that's what I do. And so my life is not my own anymore; it's really God's, and I'm I'm just kind of a little passenger on this earth, just kind of careening through it, you know. Um, and so, anyways, the. The one thing I want to end with, with this sexual abuse, and I, uh, Dave H. and I were talking about, uh, Dave was talking this morning in in the healthy sexuality in marriage, um, and he said, you know, I really, what's motivating me today is that I I want to make this different for my kids. And um, there was a time when I thought about the moment I'd have to sit down with my two boys and tell them about healthy sexuality that I, 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 I tremored. The shame and the embarrassment around that, and today I look forward to that, to sharing with them what my experiences would been, age appropriate, and giving them what I've been given, you know. And the other thing that's really exciting for me about this in this program is, is you know, there's a, I, I made a lot of buddies in this program as we walk this journey because there are a lot of us in here that come in here extremely wounded men and women. And those guys are like foxhole buddies to me. And those guys pulled me through. Judson was one of them, you know. And today I stand here on my own two feet. And what I'm most excited about in my life today is I really get it that I got something to give back because I really have healed from the trauma and the shame that bound me for so many years. I'm a free guy today. Uh, It takes some work. I'm not going to lie to you. It doesn't come magically. And I've got to face the pain and walk through it. But it's it's possible to be free from that. And I never knew that was possible. I always thought that that woundedness, that I would have to live to that, and I don't today. And that is the miracle in it for me. So, I'm done. Thank you for letting me share.
3: My name is Judson. I'm a good and worthwhile person, worthy of recovery and recovering today from my sex addiction.
2: Um,
3: I'm glad to be able to share about this topic. It's been important to me. About five, I had about four or five years, about five years of sobriety in SA, um, and my anxiety increased and my fear increased. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. And I was seeing a therapist, you know, and I had done breath work. And I had, you know, she, this person said, do some left-handed drawing, which I did and all this stuff. And, um, you know, and the, the 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 bottom line was she said, well, you either need to, you know, take some kind of anti-anxiety drugs or something, which I said, no, I won't take because that's what my mom was addicted to or she was addicted to um Prescription meds and uh, and then she said, oh, you might need to go to treatment for sexual abuse and i said well i 'm not going to do that because uh, you know i don 't have any movie like memories of exactly what happened, you know and i can't uh, and uh, but the, what what occurred, and I see this a lot, and it seems to me that it, 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 that once I cleaned up and stopped the acting out, that between, and friends of mine and I have talked about it, between the the sober years of four, five, and six, stuff starts to come up, fear, anxiety, stuff like that, four, five, six, and seven, and then, then there's this immense kind of painful passage that if it survived through... You know, not, doesn't end up in suicide or relapse or whatever, then in years 10, 12, and 11, you know, 10, 11, 12, and 13, it really starts to get better and keeps getting better from there. Uh, But it doesn't take, it's not short. It doesn't take, it's not a little bit of time. That's been my experience. Um, But the feelings that began to unfreeze, my friend told me, um, she said, feelings, uh, frozen feelings are like frozen vegetables. They're just as fresh when they thaw out. As when they were frozen, even if it's 25 years later. Um, and I remember talking to sponsees I had one in particular was saying, "You know, I was a, you know, I, I think I was scared of my stepfather. I think he had some gun or something, but he, he probably couldn't have had some gun or whatever. But there's stories, you know, that he had a pistol. I'm like, well, tell me more about that. And he said, well, there was this bullet hole or this hole in the wall above the uh, above the couch, but you know." We always joked that it was a bullet hole. It didn't really happen because he didn't really have any gun. And I said, what? I said, And he said, I don't remember any gun. I don't remember anything about it. And I waited a few minutes. And I said, well, you know, what do you think the gun looked like? And he said, oh, it was about this size. And it was silver with a white handle. And I'm like, yeah, how do you remember? You know, it was just like so departed. I forgot another sponsee who was... Having these memories, I'm having these dreams and stuff, and there's this giant penis, you know, and it's descending on me here, you know, and he would describe it coming here. I said, "Oh, okay, so you're having this description, and and there's this penis coming from over here." And he said, "No, no, no, it's coming from here." I said, "No, it's coming from over here." He said, "No, it comes from here." And I'm like, "Well, you know, it's not just kind of made up, um, but I do, do know how." Things like that happened for me. I had my godson um, when my best friend had some surgery and had a very small incision in the back of his throat because he was snoring and he had trouble. And then two days later, he had snored at night or whatever. So he'd woken up and a stitch had ripped and he was bleeding. And so he was going to go to the hospital to get it restitched up. It wasn't a big deal at all. But... A friend, of the family of their family had died in the hospital several months before, and the young child, my godson, when he was I think he was about three. Therefore, knew if you go to the hospital, you die. You know that was, and so when he woke up, his mom, he said, "Where's Dad?" Oh, oh his stitches started to bleed, so he went to the hospital to get him fixed up. He'll be home later, you know. And he looked at her with terror and said, I, "You know to, to, what? You know I don't. You know Daddy's not at the hospital." And she said, Oh yeah, he is. It got you know, it got cut. He's gonna but he'll be back later. Child turned around and as he walked away said, Daddy's at work. Daddy's at work. Daddy's at work. That was his denial of just boom. This my reality, because it is too big for me to handle the fact that this is what's going on. So my reality is that daddy's at work. And that's where I can get to. So I'm going to try uh, real quickly to share 10 years worth of stuff. Um, In terms of the memories, for me, it does not matter if I have movie memories or that I go back and get all the details. I got to a point where I had enough information to know that there was trauma around sexuality in ways that fused to templates and thoughts and stuff that, um, and had a whole lot of fear and things around them. Um, but I remember uh, telling somebody, yeah, I don't have the memories, you know, and it was, it was a psychiatrist actually, he said, um, and, and he kind of drew this image, he's like, it doesn't really matter what the reality was. What matters is what the wounded child's reality is. That's what matters. So you take a child, and I experience this all the time when I get triggers for my sexual abuse and fear and anxiety. Um, and I always talk to people about, you know, the Vietnam vet. You know, if a Vietnam vet, you're, you're walking with your buddies, a Vietnam vet, you're walking down the street, and a traffic helicopter goes over to the Nashville airport. And you see this person start feeling anxious and uncomfortable and like he wants to dive into that, those bushes. You don't go over and say, Jeez, what's wrong with you? You're really screwed up. No, instead you say, that must have been really hard, what you went through in Vietnam. And it's the same thing as a child. Um, I can picture you know, one of my kids in the car, if, if this were the case, Think of them having had a terrifying experience with a dog, whether the dog actually bit them or they thought they were being bitten, but they were terrified of dogs. So we, let's say we're driving down the highway at 65 miles an hour in a station wagon, windows up, doors locked, and across a 100 yards across a field, behind a fence, chained to a tree, is a dog. What do you think the child feels? And are the child's feelings valid? Absolutely. And that's what I was walking around with in 1991, and 1992, and 1993 from stuff out of the 60s. The feelings are real and they are valid. And there's no threat to me in 1991, in terms of that situation, the dog is way away and chained up and all that, that does not make my feelings any different. Nor does it make me want to behave any differently. I still want to get away from the dog. So, um, whether it's, you know, feelings flashbacks or panics attacks or smelling flashbacks or, you know weird, out-of-body kind of experiences. There's all kinds of ways that this stuff manifests itself. And when we get in touch with it, when I get in touch with it, um, I have loads of fear and anxiety and uh, panic attacks and what I call dread waves. just feels like this anxiety where somebody's got a pot of warm oil or honey and they pour it on my head and it just goes down and out there. And... uh, You know, there's the the adrenaline. Um, So the solution um, is, for me, therapy, you know, and I know it's not assay approved, so outside support as well as inside support groups, da-da-da-da-da-da. For me, there's tons of wounded child reparenting. And when I say tons, I mean tons over years, not just over oh, oh, six months we're gonna you know i mean for for me and my experience and my friends who went into this um it was almost eighteen months of increasing trauma getting into this horrible panic terrified place, and then two and a half to three and a half years coming out of it um, and all kinds of of reparenting. The wounded child and learning about that and learning about how not to let the the kid when I say not let the kids drive the bus it's like you know if, if I'm driving down the road and that kid that I talked about is scared of seeing seeing the dog they will literally jump up grab the steering wheel and pull away from the dog which will take me into the median and oncoming traffic and you know arguments with my boss and my wife and you know all that that's where the kid can't drive the bus but uh there's just loads of separating the feelings from the past with the reality of today and how do I then go back and re- ex- feel those feelings that I blocked and froze and stuff and then deal with them in a safe way and then go on and live my life today and keep that separate so it doesn't mess up my relationships today and da da da, da And it... Takes a long time. Can be done. Um, just some of my notes here. Anger is okay. I had, I think, I
2: <laughs>
3: there's one particular person, who, um, who I thought of almost daily for several years, couple years anyway. Each time I thought of this person, I thought, anger, shotgun blast in the face at point blank range. That was the feeling. No actions, no thoughts, no plans, no n- nothing to make amends about. That's just the kind of the gut feeling that came out once I got in touch with all the experiences. And I don't think that's destructive. I think to act out on it would have been destructive. To not journal about it, to not talk to my sponsor about it, to not take it to meetings would have been destructive. But that was my experience. As well as loads and loads of fears. That's the t-shirt. And... Uh, Fear triggers, um, and I think for me, for me, there, there, it has been helpful to have some um, medication to help me at some point stay in reality enough to work through the pain of the past, because the experience of the past can become so overwhelming that it takes me out of the reality out of the present. And then I'm just spinning, you know, and like a top, and can't. uh, So that's also been a helpful tool. Um, The fear and the triggers remain. I don't think it, you know, it doesn't go away. And I don't think, I mean, I I talk all the time. People, you know, when they when they get a trigger, um, I talked to somebody last week who was, you know. Triggered into the, the anger, whatever. And, and so I was talking and, and I just talked to him. I said, Can I talk to your significant other? You know, and got on the phone. And what I said was, It's not your fault. And it's not his fault either. You came home with a, and this is, this is hypothetical, this isn't really how, she came home and shared something and he shared something and da da da. But I said, You've got a Vietnam vet and you came home with a cute little potted plant. That happened to be uh, from a rainforest. And, you know, you came home and you put it on the table, and then this is a pretty plan. He looks at that, and instantly the connection to the feeling, to the fear, to the, you know, so this is the trigger, so his reaction is this, and then from your stuff, your reaction is then this, and then you're both red button plan, you know, off in your place. Mike's, I see, I still feel that, you know, and it's just, Another, I, don't, I did most of my work back in the '90s, or most of the '90s, um, and it's still. But this, but I still have the trigger. Still can, you know. I can tell. I can feel. I can, um, and I don't think it, frankly, is ever going to go away. I think it will diminish, but I don't think it'll ever go away. And the last thing I wanted to share, um, and I know I've kind of collapsed a lot of this, so I'm happy to share longer with people. I've just hit a few of kind of the key things. I now believe that people who can't recover in this program or who relapse continually in Sexaholics Anonymous or whatever programs, I believe their abuse was worse than mine. I believe the reason they can't stay sober is because the pain they have was so profound that they have to keep medicating it. So I don't see their relapse or difficulty in getting sober as their fault. I just see it as a, you know, I have a level 3 cancer and they've got a level 4 cancer. And it's sad. So, uh, with that, we'll open for questions or if any people want to come up and share. And I think we have somebody who wants to share. We'll try to keep it to three or four minutes. Thank you,
1: Judson. Um, just one small comment, and I'll let uh, uh, Helen come up. Is w- w- Judson talked about anger and being okay with anger? And Judson was one of the—I don't know if anybody else here knew me when I got in here, but man, my—I had a guy when I picked up my two-year chip at AA said he was terrified of me. He said y- when you would talk to me, the n- veins in your neck would pop out, you know. And uh, when I started to do my work, every time I got angry. It ended in the same thing, which was, to me was where the real healing was. I would get angry. And my buddy Matt out in California calls it snot-slinging grief work. (laughs) I would get angry and I would end up and I would grieve the loss. Grief is at the root of all of my abuse. And there's something about doing that in a group of safe people to actualize and to witness that and to put that out on the table about, hey, this is what occurred and to put that out and, and to be honored for that, and that was a huge, huge piece of my recovered, pro- recovering process from this. Is to get into a safe place, to get angry, and, and, and the first time I got angry, I, there was this little, not little, it was about a four foot stuffed animal this guy had gotten at a carnival or something. And when I got done with it, there was nothing left; it was in shreds, you know. And I, I don't, I, I don't remember physically tearing it apart, but it, I, I got done, and after the grief, I kind of stood up and looked around, and my hair was standing on in, and I was beet red. And I looked down, and there was just this stuffing everywhere, you know. And uh, it's, it was just key, you know. But I, I say that over and over again, that underneath my anger, and it was important to get angry, was grief. And then it moved into a place where I could just go in and just be, just do, just feel the loss and feel the grief. And today I can do that on my own. You know, I've paid thousands of dollars to be able to do that. So, great,
4: Thanks. Hi, I'm Helen, I'm a child of God, and I'm learning how to do life, participating in this program as a co addict. and I'm going to share from my journal. Uh, The title of this is The Silence, Unspoken, Unhealed Sexual Trauma, Three Generations Deep, From teachers, relatives, friends of the family, continues forward three generations. Abuse begets abuse, sufferance in silence, distrust of everyone, unable to trust my own observation, unable to protect myself, for my pain needed to be repressed. This is called The Walking Dead. The date on this one is 7 2 but I think it was probably sooner. I think I transferred to this book on that date. To a frightened, abused child, people are terrible, awful. But there is a danger in not trusting anyone In standing all alone with a frown on my face. My parents did not have time for me. And they were sad and tired and worried. My mother longed to be without child. My father longed for someone, not his wife. My neighbors didn't have any hope. My church failed to have adequate answers. I was on the outside looking in. I had a walking dead existence. I was like Robin Quivers of the Howard Stern Show, seen by others walking around my neighborhood but not really there in spirit. I didn't have the opportunity to give up the pipe, Paxil, a Prozac, but I did tremble and jerk and shake like a newborn babe. My body tried to right itself by controlling others. I spent some time daydreaming. I have arrived at a destination in my car, but I don't remember the drive. I have lived in the future and the past, waiting for a knight in shining armor. My psychic was unreachable, untouchable, not really here on the planet, stuck in some long ago time. But now I have been set free. I no longer remain a prisoner. Of my parents' private war, held captive by emotional abandonment and my mother's unmitigated rage. As a kid, I did not have words to express my anger or my rage. So I learned to ignore it and not feel my pain. Yet, I have often wore it in my aura for the whole world to see. This one is a takeoff from Walt Whitman's Song of Myself. I celebrate myself and what I assume you shall assume. For every atom belonging to me as good belongs to you. In all people I see myself, none more and not less. And the good or bad I say of you, I say of them. And I know I am solid and sound. To me, the converging objects of the universe perpetually flow. I think I could turn and live a while with the animals. They are so placid and self-contained, I stand and look at them sometimes half the day long, they do not sweat and whine about their condition, they do not lie awake in the dark and weep for their sins, they do not make me sick discussing their duty, not one is dissatisfied, not one is demented, with the mania of owning things. Not one kneels to another. Not one is respectable or industrious over the whole earth. So, they show their relation to me, and I accept them. They bring me tokens of myself. Thank you.
5: I'm Frank, I'm a sexaholic. It's very good to be in a room with um, loving people in this fellowship, brothers and sisters. Um, It's kind of funny how I got in this room. I originally went into the doctor's opinion, and during the break, I came into this room. My sponsor, I told my sponsors which, uh, which groups I was going to go to, and I kept on pointing at it. I couldn't even say it. And he told me twice. He's very gentle with me, but he told me twice I needed to be in here. Um... But the discussion of this one is healing from sexual abuse. And um, I want to tell a little bit of my story and be very brief, um, because I know others want to share. But um, this is how I I heal from the sexual abuse. This program is how I'm healing from the sexual abuse. I, like this gentleman over here, have a a therapy that I go to with um, a sister, Mr. Carnes, Dr. Carnes. uh, But this program is really what's healing me right now. And um, my story is, uh, and I'll be very brief, like I said, my story is my dad died when I was four years old, and um, my mother actually told me she had an acting out period in her life before she found her her God, and um, my addict and my um, my disease always led me into fantasy life and led me away from... Reality, And uh, (laughs) then when I was a little bit older and my mom found her higher power, um, I had a religious figure that also entered in my life and and had some sexual abuse history, which enabled my addict to go even farther. So um, that being said, the healing process of this group and me sharing this at this point in time with a bunch of loving people in this fellowship is what heals me. And um, I'm about six months into this program, and I actually had a question, but you had answered that already, and I appreciate that. But what my addict has done for me is actually given me a fog in my memory. And uh, I didn't know, my question was, and you really had to answer it. my question was, is um, do I have to seek that trauma egg? Do I have to see those visual images? Do I have to go back there? And my therapist really wants to do that, and but it's my choice. And I realize that, and you answer that question for me, so I really do appreciate that. But um, again, this is what, what heals me, and sharing, and, and doing those phone calls, and, and having a sponsor, and working me through this this problem is what heal, heals me right now. Thank you.
2: Um,
6: hi, I'm Kaya, recovering sexaholic.
2: Um,
6: gosh. <laughs> Um, Thank you so much, guys, for your share. I identified so much with it, and I identified so much with the journey of healing. So many of the things that you mentioned, Marty, I have done. Um, I've been uh, working through my trauma for the last uh, seven to eight years. Um, You know, after I had my second child, I realized that uh, a lot of the stuff I was dealing with, um, the low self-esteem and, I don't know, rage... Um, had to do with um the fact that I was sexually abused, and it was never an issue i had never i hadn't even mentioned to my therapist. I just thought like whatever um, anyway so i did the the massage i did the um body work. i've done the uh the writing back and forth, which i hate <laughs> um i've done the uh you know uh, i don't know go e m d r going back we don't mention all right but um so much of what you mentioned um I just didn't have sobriety. Now I have six months of sobriety. And uh, um, maybe I didn't go deep enough. I don't know. But my question, I have a question. Judge Jensen, what I heard from Marty was that we can be recovered from sexual abuse. And sexual abuse doesn't affect us possibly. We're human then. And what I hear from Justin is that it's always going to be part of me. Um... (laughs) i wanna heal i wanna be a normal person i wanna normal what's normal all right um i wanna heal i wanna i wanna i wanna maybe think of myself as healed i don't know or, or recovering or um or maybe uh you know surviving thriving um and uh, I have three little kids and loss comes up and uh and sometimes when I go through the recovery, I have to stop because the rage is dangerous and I can hurt my children or my spouse but um, you know and Meadows is some place I've heard about seven years ago and I'm still dying to go <laughs> so uh,
1: thanks Pass. they gave us the curtain they're actually getting ready to start the meal so we're going to have to close and I'm uh, if anybody wants to talk afterwards, we can go outside to do it. Uh, we did run over about 15 minutes. So if you got, everybody would help us join, and we'll close with
2: the Lord's
1: Prayer. Appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for sharing.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, your best source for experience, strength, and hope from the SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choose either monthly or a one-time donation. Music was provided by Matt P. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.